I want to go into the gospel story now, if I could, the story that we heard read this morning. I want to share it once again because I think it's an important story. And I actually believe, I don't know if you've thought about this, but I actually believe that this parable takes us into the heart of God. So that's where we're going tonight. We're going to go into the heart of God. I mean, this morning. See, I'm, I'm used to preaching at night. This is, what time is it? No. Um, when we go into the heart of God today, we're going to find two things. We're going to, and there's a lot there, but we're going to find mission and renewal. So that's where we're headed. We're headed into the heart of God where we'll find mission and renewal. But let's pray first. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you for your great love for us. We are here today because you have sought us out. You came to find us. You didn't give up. You descended so that we could know life. You've saved us. I pray that you would lead us more into your heart. Not only our, your heart for us, but your heart for the whole world. And that we would see and know what it means to be your people. And we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There was a father who had two sons. He loved both of his sons very much. Yet, neither son really comprehended his love. One day, the youngest son went to his father and said, Dad, I'm tired of waiting for you to die. Can I have my inheritance now? Though the father was grieved, he loved his sons, and so he divided his inheritance between them. Not long after that, the younger son left his home and went into the world on a pilgrimage of perversion. He partied like a rock star until the money ran out. At about that same time, there was a great recession in all the land. Work was hard to come by. Food was hard to come by. But the younger son finally found a job feeding pigs on a farm. He was so hungry that he started longing for what the pigs eat, the slop. And then he finally came to his senses. He thought, the hired hands at my dad's ranch do better than this. They at least eat. Maybe I can go back home and beg forgiveness and tell my dad I'm not worthy to be his son anymore. Can I be one of your servants? And so the younger son headed home. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the father had never tired of hoping his younger son would return. He spent time each day gazing into the distance, longing and hoping that one day he would see his son returning. And then one day he saw someone coming on the horizon. And he began to hope against hope that it was his younger son returning. Finally, when he was sure that it was his son, he began to run to him. He ran to him. He ran to him. He embraced his son as the tears of joy started to flow. The younger son began his well-rehearsed speech. He said, Father, I've sinned against you and against God. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father didn't let him say anymore. He called out to the higher hands and said, quick, bring the best clothes and put them on my son. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. 
Kill the fattened calf, it's time to party. For this son of mine was dead and now is alive. He was lost and now is found. And a great party began. It's a great story. Did you hear the heart of God in the story? As this story leads us into the heart of God, let me set the stage for us a little bit. In Luke 15, Jesus is getting criticized. What's he being criticized for? He's being criticized for hanging with sinners. And shock of shocks, even eating with them. The, the, the critique that he has experienced is, is, a, is intended to be very severe. They're basically saying, Jesus, how can you hang out with sinners? How can you eat with them? Don't you know that these people are ungodly? I used to say in all my years of youth ministry, I used to tell the youth, I said, look, we all know how to sin. Some of us are better than others. Let's just be honest. And what these people are telling Jesus is like, these people are the best of the best when it comes to sinning, Jesus. They really are good at it. And you're hanging out with them and breaking bread with them and having a meal with them. And that, that's very upsetting to them. Shocker alert here, Jesus knew what he was doing. Jesus always knows what he's doing, no matter what it looks like. He knew what he was doing. He was very intentional in what he was doing. He knew who he was hanging out with. He knew very well. He knows all about us, and he loves us anyway. Isn't that good? He, des he desires fellowship with us, all of us, you and even me. Praise the Lord. In response, Jesus wants to make it perfectly clear that he knows what he's doing, and he wants to show people why he's doing it. So he tells a parable in three parts. It's as if Jesus is saying, hey, don't miss, don't miss this. This is key to who I am. This is key to who my father is. Jesus is saying, I love sinners. I want to hang out with them. I want to be with them. I want to eat with them. And you know what he's also saying? He's saying, and by the way, sinners love me. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool to think how much Jesus loves sinners and how much sinners love Jesus? All throughout the Gospels, what do we see? We see the people who seem furthest away from religion of any sort. They're the ones. The, the ones that are, seem to be furthest away are the ones who are just in love with this guy. And I think if, if we have eyes to see, that's a pattern we'll see even in this day. People, I tell you, people aren't always excited about religion. People are not always excited about the church. People are not always excited about Christians and the, and, the, and the kind of games and the things that we play sometimes that have nothing to do with Jesus. But if you can get people talking about Jesus, you will find that most of the time there is an interest. There is an affinity. In fact, it's the world that will tell us, hey, you're not acting like Jesus. I, I, I've seen him. I, I kind of like him. You're not acting like him. There is affinity for Jesus, even in this day. 
Jesus came into the world for the lost and the wandering. He came to find the lost coin and the lost sheep. He seeks us out still. Jesus wants all of his children to come home. He offers his hospitality to the outsider, the overlooked, the oppressed, and even the oppressor. That was part of the problem with the critique. They're like, you got the tax collectors here. They're oppressing the people of God. And you're eating with them. Jesus says, yep, I love all sinners. He is demonstrating the heart of God. He is, he, Jesus is downright boasting in who his father is. Through this parable, Jesus is saying, check out the heart of my father. It is a heart bursting with love for all. A heart that loves those close to the promises of God and those eating the pig slop of the world. It's a heart of love. Our father loves all of our friends and neighbors. All of our friends and neighbors the father loves. All. What does all mean? All. That's his heart. Don't believe me? Then I'll remind you what St. Paul said in 1 Timothy. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. My hope for us at this point is that we've gone a little further into the heart of God. And this leads us into mission and renewal, which are really two sides of the same coin. I'll explain that as we go. But first, let's talk about mission. After all, Jesus said, what? If you follow me, what? I will make you fishers of men. To follow Jesus is to be on a mission in this world for people to know him. We heard it in the story. Our God is seeking the lost and running to those who turn towards home. He is longing for relational reconciliation with his family and he has sent us out to be folks who reconcile. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We've been reconciled. To be in Christ means that we've been reconciled to God. And it also means that we are sent out to reconcile. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. So as we go out to reconcile, this should be our prayer from Psalm 51, 12, and 13. May this be our prayer. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways that sinners will turn back to you. We're invited to mission. We are called to be God's good news people. Having been reconciled, we seek to reconcile. 
But the full gospel involves more than being made relationally right with God. It involves our whole lives. We are sent out in mission. And our mission is to see people rightly related to God, but it is also to bring renewal, to bring Jesus. We are called to bring the good news, the full gospel good news. We are called to bring both what is right and what is good. Psalm 89, 14 says it this way, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. There we have the two sides of the good good news coin, two sides of the same coin. Mission to make people right with God and renewal to bring what is good into their lives. Mission and renewal go together in the heart of God. Righteousness and justice. Did you, catch that? Did you catch it in the parable? Did you hear it? Did you see how right relationship and full restoration go together? It's in the parable. Did you see the father's mission of renewal? In the story, the son comes home, and there's this great rejoicing. My son's home. Relationship is restored. Okay? It's great. But the father doesn't stop there. He gives, he gives the son a robe. He gives him a ring. He gives them shoes and he throws them a party. Jesus has done that for us if we're in Christ. Jesus has given us the robe of righteousness. We are literally clothed in Christ. Randy wears a white robe on Sunday mornings. You know what he's doing? He's representing all of us as robed in Jesus. We are robed in his righteousness. We are clothed in Jesus. So when the father looks at us, what does he see? He sees the son. That is good news for us. We are clothed. He has given us the ring. I think this represents our stewardship, our call, our renewed call to to protect and serve and care for all of creation, especially the most valuable thing in all of creation, which is the imago Dei in each person. We are all created in the image of God. And it is our call to protect and serve that in all people all the time. Remember that all word. So we've got our clothes, we've got our stewardship, and we've got our vocation. That comes our shoes, the shoes of our vocation. In the beginning, God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Folks, he wasn't talking about filling the earth with just people. We've already done that. What he was saying is, fill it with my presence. And that is still the vocation of the people of God, to fill this earth with the presence of God. And he's given us shoes to do it, the shoes of good news. To bring both what is right and what is good. And finally, he's invited us to the heavenly feast where we Something that we practice each week, actually, when we come to the Eucharistic table, when we come to the table of Thanksgiving, we're actually entering the heavenly realms. We're actually crossing over and getting a foretaste of our heavenly feast. And you're like, it's not very much. I just get a little piece of bread and a little dip of wine. It's just a, it's just a taste. But it's, it's a taste of what's coming. Full and complete communion with our God. What a feast that will be. We won't even need food, but the food will be good. Don't believe me, check out Isaiah 25. So the heart of God sends us out into the world on a mission of reconciliation and renewal. We're called to bring righteousness and justice. So how are we doing? How are we doing? 
as the people of God in this city? How are we doing? Well, I think if we can be honest for a moment, we'd have to say in the city of Charlotte, we're not doing very well at all. There is an incredible amount of injustice in our city. And that should bother us as the people of God. In a recent study of upward mobility, of the 50 largest cities in America, Charlotte scored 50th of 50. Which means this, if you're born in poverty in Charlotte, it is incredibly, do you hear this? It's incredibly unlikely that you will ever leave poverty. We're the worst at this. And you say, well, so what's the big deal? We, after all, we can't all be rich. I say that's true. And certainly poverty in the U.S. can't be as bad as the developing world. That's sort of true. The poverty line in the U.S. is about $500 a week. And in most of the developing world, it's probably less than $500 a year. In fact, when we were in Rwanda in 2008, they told us that the median income in Rwanda was about $260 a year. So it would seem like that would be worse. But, and it's not good, and that's something we should care about. But in our context, it's, it's important to understand that to be poor in our context means to experience an incredible amount of injustice. Folks, we don't always want to hear it, but it's true. In the good old U.S. of A, poverty, poverty equals injustice. To be poor is to experience things that aren't right. In the body of Christ, we should care about it. If you're born poor in Charlotte, you are more likely to have a broken family. You are more likely to have a subpar education. You are more likely to be a victim of a crime. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Charlotte is the city of churches. And we're 50. If that doesn't shake us as the people of God, it ought to. Because the foundation of the throne of our God is both righteousness and justice. So how do we do it? How do we do it? Well, here's where I'd really like to encourage you. Because you have a partnership with Lansdowne Elementary School. It is Lansdowne Elementary School, right? Is that right? This means yes. This means no. Okay. Your partnership at Lansdowne Elementary Schools is one of the best things you could do to counter systemic injustice. Because Lansdowne is a Title I school, and Title I schools have 75% of their kids and their families, at least 75%, live below the poverty line in a Title I school. So you're coming alongside the poor in our context. It's a revolutionary way to combat injustice. Why do I say that? When we help kids read, when we come alongside to mentor, when we just show them that they matter, this makes a huge impact. It makes an incredible difference. Your involvement at Lansdowne is helping kids be free from their academic struggle. And that increases their self-worth. 
And when we help with that, when we just show kids that we care, we are significantly reducing their vulnerability to injustice. Come alongside a young student reduces a child's vulnerability to crime, to being, the, to being the victim of a crime, to being the victim of violence, to being, to being incarcerated in the future. You know that the, that the formula they used to use for building jails was based on the percentage of our population that could read at the third grade level. And even when we come alongside kids like that, we even reduce their vulnerability to sex trafficking. Because folks, we think about sex sex trafficking as as a worldwide issue. It's happening in Charlotte. It's happening among our kids. And it starts in elementary school and middle school where kids are recruited. And if they don't know they're loved, they don't know any better. And if, if our father is the heart of love, who are the people of love? Who are the ones who can make a difference in lives? Believe it or not, it's you and me. So I commend you because you're doing an important work, and I just say, keep going. Keep doing what is right and what is good. In closing, I'd like to just spur us on to be a people who reflect the heart of God, who live fully into our call to bring reconciliation and renewal. And if I can see, be so bold, I, I believe, this I believe with all my heart, that if St. Patrick's and King of Kings can do some of this together, we're going to see even more fruit. I mean, really together. I mean, hand in hand together. When we do that, we're going to see incredible fruit as we work together for justice in this city, as we bring relational restoration and full gospel renewal. May we be a people who live into the words of Micah 6, 8, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please forgive us because we haven't always represented you well in this world. We haven't always lived lives of righteousness and justice. We haven't always cared, and Lord, we come. We come before your throne and we say, we want to do better. We want to love mercy and we want to act justly. We want to see people renewed in their relationship with you, and we want to see people have good and abundant lives free from injustice. Equip us, fill us with your spirit to do what you've called us to do. And we pray in your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen.